Turn your Bibles with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to focus this morning as we continue a series we started two weeks ago. We're talking about the weapons of spiritual warfare. How as believers, how as sons and daughters of Christ, are we to overcome wickedness in our world today? The reality is, is we are not just simply called to exist. We're not simply called to only cater to our own needs, our own concerns. We are called to make a difference. We are called to be salt and light. We are called to leave um, a deep impression on our world, one that causes people to put their trust in Jesus, to look to him as the author and the finisher of their faith, and to embrace him as Lord of their lives. And the way we do that is not by standing on the sidelines and allowing the enemy to basically run roughshod over our culture, but that we as believers are willing to step up and say, God, how can I be used to accomplish, to effect change in my world today? And so in the scripture that we've been focusing on these last several weeks, we've talked about how we are to overcome wickedness. Aren't you grateful this morning that when God gives us his word, it's not just some abstract uh, pie in the sky, it's a good thought kind of teaching. God gives us practical tools, practical advice that you and I can act on so that we can bring about the desired effect that he wants. And so today we want to begin in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, Paul says, having, having come to this understanding that there is a spiritual battle, a spiritual struggle that we are engaging, he says, therefore, we are to put on, everybody say put on. Paul says we are to put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Paul says that there is a day of evil that will come. And it's not a particular specific day. It is an everyday experience of evil being expressed by, by the choices that people make, by the decisions that people make to give in to their sinful desires and sinful appetites. And in whether or not people think in their minds that when they make a decision or choice that is uh, inconsistent with God's will, that it's only affecting their life. The reality is, is, friends, every sinful decision will affect others around us. It's not just us that our sinful choices affect. We are, it affects everyone else around us. And so Paul is saying that knowing that we live in a world, we live in an, we live in an era where there is evil that is abounding, and I would say it, it, it is increasing in its expression, in its audacity in our world today. It is important that we as believers, Paul says, appropriate the tools that God has made available to us so that we're able to not only overcome the enemy, but also be re to remain standing at the end of this fight. There are three certainties about our fight against wickedness that Paul points out. He says, number one, I mentioned this just a moment ago, that the day of evil will come. It is not a matter of if it will happen. It is simply a matter of when. But not only that, friends, it is possible for you and I to stand up to evil without giving in to evil. Even though we're surrounded by evil, even though we're surrounded by a lot of sin and iniquity, and every now and then we struggle or we stumble ourselves, 
Paul says that it is possible for us to be confronted by evil, to be confronted by evil desires, evil tendencies, and yet not have to give in to those evil tendencies. Why? Because of the one who has called us his own. And of course, the one who calls us his own, the one who calls us to, to union with him, to abide with him, to walk in relationship with him, has provided everything that you and I will need to resist evil. And so last week we talked about what Paul says is, the, the tool that God makes available to us to prepare us to confront wickedness. And in verse 14, he begins by saying that we are to stand firm with the belt of truth. Everybody say the belt of truth. Paul says we stand with the belt of truth buckled around our waist. There are three things we talked about truth last week. Number one, truth is always defined by absolutes. It is never based on personal preference. If you and I have different ideas of what truth is, then it's not truth. It is simply opinion. Truth must be absolute if it is to qualify as truth. But not only that, what makes truth absolute is this, that it stands the test of time, that it also stands the test of space, and it stands the test of circumstance. In other words, it doesn't matter what era. It could have been 50,000 years ago. It could be another 50,000 years from now. Truth will remain true. Why? Because truth is absolute. And it doesn't matter whether you're here in the United States or you're in Africa or you're in Asia or you're in the Caribbean. The truth is true no matter where you are. And of course, no matter what you're going through, whether you're going through a, a, an up moment or a down moment or anything in between, truth remains true. And this is why we learned last week that our greatest tool against Satan's deception, friends, is the Word of God. The greatest tool that you and I have as believers in our fight to overcome wickedness is God's word. God has not left us hanging. He has not left us defenseless. He has provided tools that you and I would use to engage the enemy and to overcome the enemy. And so last week we said that there are several things that you and I have to do if we are to overcome wickedness by putting on what Paul calls this belt of truth. We, we learned, number one, that we are to accept in our own lives, first of all, the authority of God's word. If we cannot accept the authority of God's word in our own lives, how can we expect the world to accept the authority of God? We must accept it in our own lives first. But not only that, we need to let God's word shape our worldview. It is not culture, it is not personal preference, it is not the opinion of others that's to shape our view of the world and how we are to respond to the world. It is God's word that must shape our worldview. And number three, we need to be committed to always walking in obedience to God's word. The Bible says we should not just be hearers alone, but even more important is the decision to be a doer of God's word. Can I tell you this? Transformation happens when we obey. Transformation happens in the doing. It is not in simply in knowing. It is in the doing that transformation takes place. Because can I tell you this? Satan knows the word. If you want to try to challenge him on the word, listen, you're, you're, going to have a, you're going to have a duel on your hands because he knows the word, but the, but the difference is he has purpose, he will not do the word. You and I have the opportunity to not only know the word, but to do the word, and then finally to trust that God's truth will always endure. Here's the thing, friends. Before you and I came into this life, truth existed, truth stood, and, and it withstood every challenge that it faced. And long after you and I are gone, truth will still remain. And so while we're in this life, we can be confident that when we hold on to the truth that God has made available to us, that God has expressed to us, that we, will, we can be confident that God's truth will never let us down. Now, Jesus never ever promised you and I that we're not going to have challenges, we're not going to have difficulties. But what he did encourage us is this. He says, take heart, because I have overcome the world for you. 
So what Jesus is trying to understand, for help us to understand is this, is that no matter what we engage in life, friends, truth will always endure. So I want to pivot from Paul talking about preparation to now he's talking about protection. And he uses this reference um, uh, to, to illustrate what he means by the pr- protection that God provides you and I in this fight against spiritual evil. He references this, this piece of, of, an, of an armor that, that's called a breastplate. Everybody say breastplate. Now, of course, back in those days, you know, uh, whenever, whenever, you know, warriors would fight, you know, they would, they would wear this piece of metal on their, on their body, on their, on their upper torso. And there was this, it was this thing called a breastplate. And the role of the breastplate was to serve as a piece of defensive armor to protect their chest, but to also protect vital organs that, that the enemy would try to go after. So in verse 14, after addressing the, the fact that we are able to stand firm, Paul says, with the belt of truth buckled around our waist, he then goes on to say that we are also able to stand firm with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Paul says that what enables you and I to be protected against the attack of the enemy is this thing called the breastplate of righteousness. What is righteousness defined as? The word righteousness simply means the quality or state of being morally right with God by being aligned with His standards. Let me read it again. Righteousness is defined as the quality or the state of being morally right with God by being aligned with His standards. Righteousness is not simply the result of you and I's effort to do good. Rather, righteousness, the Bible tells us, comes by each of us admitting, first of all, that we lack the capacity to be morally right on our own. And so we look to God for the ability to be aligned with Him. But just as there are two sides to a coin, there are also two aspects of righteousness we need to understand this morning. Number one, there is what we call positional righteousness, and then there is what we call practical righteousness. Positional righteousness is the righteousness that you and I receive from God. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 tells us, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin. Why? So that we could be made right with God through Christ. Paul makes it very clear to you and I that the only way we can be right with God is through Jesus Christ. This is why Christ himself said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one can come to the Father except they come through me. He was unambiguous about that. He declared that there are no multiple ways to God. There are no, there are no number of ways to know Him. It is only through knowing Jesus. And so positional righteousness then, then refers to that new standing that you and I have with God. Why? Because we have placed our trust on Christ, on Christ's substitutionary work on the cross for our sins. A death that the Bible tells us was fully sat- that, that it fully satisfied God's righteous requirement that the wages of sin be paid for with life. And as a result, the Bible says, because we put our trust in Jesus, we are then given this new identity. One that, when the, that says you and I are forgiven. One that says you and I are set free from the power of sin. But here's the kicker, friends. One that says you and I are now children of God. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, we can be children of God today. And so, of course, this moniker of uh, being child of God, forgiven, set free, is not something we earn. It is simply the result of grace that is extended to us by response to our faith in Christ. 
And then there is what Paul, what the scripture refers to as the practical righteousness. And practical righteousness is righteousness that is gained through obedience to God's instructions. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, I want you to hear what the Apostle Peter writes. He says, Obey God. Why? Because you are His children. So do not slip back into your old ways, doing evil because you knew no better then. But be holy now. Everybody say now. now. Paul is saying that now that you've come to an awareness of, of Christ and what He did on the cross and what, what, and what His sacrifice means for you, and the new opportunity it opens for you to walk with God as a child of God, as one who is set free from the power of sin. Paul Peter says, be holy now in everything you do. Just as the Lord is holy, who has invited you to be his child. So when we're talking about practical righteousness, we're referring to that experience when a believer demonstrates their trust in Christ by applying the standards of God to the way that we live every day. It is living in such a way as to demonstrate that doing what God wants is our greatest priority. It is not enough to claim that we are children of God, friends, but it is just as importantly that by our obedience to His commands, we are expressing our love for God and our devotion to Him. Notice Jesus said many times during His ministry, If you love me, you will obey me. If you love me, you will do what I command. Because there's no greater expression of love than to obey, than to do what he has asked us to do and to apply his teachings to our lives. So when you look at Paul's instruction to the believers to stand firm with the breastplate of righteousness in place, what you conclude then is that his focus isn't on positional righteousness. His focus is on practical righteousness because his goal in addressing the believers here is this. That in equipping them with knowledge of how to stand up to spiritual forces that they are to then look to the opportunity that they have to actually walk in obedience to God's word as a way to be equipped to be able to then stand up to Satan. In the same way that a breastplate for a war represents protection for the chest and for vital organs, here's the point this morning, friends. Obedience for the believer is our defense against Satan's attacks. Again, Satan's attacks is not a matter of if it will happen, it's simply a matter of when. But when it does happen, God wants us to be prepared. God wants us to be equipped so that when Satan comes, we're not caught off guard. We're not, we're, not, we're not caught flat-footed, but we're able to engage him, not in our own strength, power, or might, but through the strength, power, and might that God gives us. And so in this next few minutes, I want to share with you how obedience protects the believer. First thing we discover this morning in the scriptures is this. That obedience demonstrates the reality of our faith in Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 11 verse 8, the author of Hebrews is pointing to different characters throughout church, throughout the church's history, throughout the Old Testament history, and pointing to their response to God and how it demonstrated their allegiance to God. And, 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 he, and, he, and he makes this point that every one of these men and women who we look to as, as heroes of our faith are not heroes simply because they talked a good talk. But that they're heroes of our faith. Why? Because they backed up their talk with actions. Even, even in impossible situations, they, they, they learned to take God at His word and to do what God asked them to do and to trust Him with the outcome. It was never about God, well, you need to convince me first before I take a step of obedience. They said, well, God, you've spoken and I believe that what you've said is true and I will do it and I will trust that you will bring the outcome that you desire out of this situation. 
In this one verse, I want to focus on, the writer says in verse 8, By faith, he writes, Abraham, when he was called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed. Scripture didn't say to us that he began asking God, where am I going? What am I going to meet when I get there? What do I need to do to prepare for the place that I'm going? God told him to move his family and to move to a place he had never been to before. A place God said, I will simply show you. And the Bible says, Abraham picked up wife and family and he moved. And the Bible says, God ascribed to that righteousness. Why? Because Abraham obeyed. Even when he didn't know what, even when he didn't have a full picture of what God was asking him to do, he obeyed. And the scripture says he went, even though he didn't know where he was going. In John chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and we will make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Here's why this point is very important this morning. Because, you know, the Bible, one of the things the Bible describes about Satan is this, that he is a great accuser, right? Satan loves to accuse. Satan loves to make accusations. Satan loves to, Satan loves to taunt. He loves to, he, loves to, he loves to belittle us. He loves to devalue, to demean we talked about in, in, our, in our first week that one of the things that Satan tries to do is he tries to, um, he tries to distort the image of God and to make God seem less than who he truly is so that he might change our thinking about God and ultimately impact how we respond to God. Satan is a liar, friends. There is no truth that ever comes out of his mouth when it comes to who we are and who God has called us to be. So when we talk about obedience protecting you and I or obedience being the reality of our faith in Christ, Here's, here's, here's where it's important. When we say that we are followers of Jesus, it's not enough, again, as I said before, for us to simply claim to be followers of Christ. But it is by our obedience that we are saying to the enemy, I am with Jesus. I am, I am, I, I am not, I am not, I'm not, I'm not some, I'm not a neutral party where I'm, 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 I'm willing to go to the highest bidder. No, I am with Jesus. And we make it clear to the enemy that, that, we, that our engagement against him is not in our own strength, power, or authority, but it is in that which Christ has given us. I remember when David stood up to Goliath. Remember? When the people of Israel were all, you know, they were all shaking in their boots. All these seasoned words were shaking in their boots because this giant is spewing all these nonsense about, about the people of God and about their God. And, and the Bible says that David came on the scene, teenager, came on the scene and he's thinking, who is this guy? That is, that, is, that is saying all this nonsense about our God. And, and, and when others were willing to retreat, David took Goliath on. But it wasn't because David was this skilled warrior. He was a shepherd. He took care of sheep. I mean, the, the most combat he ever experienced was when, when, I think he had described a bear came and tried to steal one of his sheep. Or a lion came and tried to steal one of his sheep and he, and he fought them off. That was the most, you know, that, that was the most experience he had as far as combat was concerned. And yet David took on this, this seasoned warrior because he knew that greater is he that is in him than he that is in this world. When you and I remember that we are with Christ, that we are for Christ, then it gives us that boldness to then walk in obedience because we know that as we walk in obedience, God will back his word up in our lives. The reality is, is that when we are obedient, we are demonstrating the reality of our faith in Christ. When we are obedient in, in the arena of life, in school, when we are obedient in our, in our job, when we are obedient in, in our relationships, when we, when we are obedient in, in our society and culture. Friends, we are demonstrating the reality of our faith in Christ, that we are, we are tied to Jesus and that we are for Jesus. And we are confident that because we are in Christ, we will stand but not only that, obedience releases God's power to act on yours and my behalf according to his promise. 
I want you to hear what Isaiah chapter 55 verse 10 and 11 says. And this is powerful. When I, as I was reading this, I had to read it over and over and over again. And the more I was reading, the more excited I was getting. Because this is what God says. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word. God says that goes out from my mouth and it will not return void unto me or empty as some translations say, but it will accomplish. Everybody say accomplish. God says what I've spoken what I've declared, it will not return to me without accomplishing the purpose for which I spoke it. God does not speak empty words. You know, we, we all know what it's like to speak words and we are not able to back it up, right? We, we all know of, of times when people have spoken words and they couldn't back up their words. Sometimes it's not, it's not you know, through any fault of their own. They just don't have the ability to back up their words. But we don't have that issue with God. Everything that God says, friends, God backs up his word. And so when God gives us his word, when God gives us this book that, that he says we can, as the psalmist says, we hide this word in our hearts so that we might not sin against God. We need to realize this morning that it's not simply for us to know about God, but, but that as you and I are walking in obedience to God, that the power of God is released in our lives. It is released through our lives so that people can see that God is indeed who he says he is. Obedience releases God's power to act according to his promises on our behalf. God says, so is my word, and it will go out of my mouth and not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So in other words, when you and I choose to walk in obedience to God's word, we're saying, God, my responsibility is to obey. Your responsibility is to do what your purpose will come out of my obedience to this promise you've made. So when you and I find ourselves facing a situation or circumstance and we're thinking to ourselves, God, what's going to happen to me? How am I going to get through this? That we're reminded, we're reminded that those that put their trust in the Lord will not be put to shame. That greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. That we have courage and boldness to take on the fight that is in front of us. Knowing that God will work wonders in our lives. Why? Because he's not a liar. God will not say something and then not do it. He will always do what he says in his word he will do. We just need to be obedient. Obedience protects us when we, when, when we recognize that it is releasing God's power to work on our behalf. And here's the last point. Obedience sustains and strengthens with joy and peace in difficult times. Many times we see obedience as a risk. When we're called to obey, you know, isn't it easy when we have to only obey things that are not that difficult, right? You know, obedience, when it is simple, when it is, doesn't require much cost, might seem like a no-brainer, but, there, but, but, the, but the, the, really where the rubber meets the road is when we have to obey and, and it's going to cost us everything. Whether, whether, whether it be that obedience may cost you that promotion that you've been, you've been praying for for many years, maybe it's that obedience is going to cost you, you know, you know whether, whether it be the, you know, the, the embrace of others or, 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 or you know, the accolades of men. It doesn't matter what it is, but when obedience comes at great price, it is very, very difficult for us to justify in our minds why we should obey. And, we're, and in a sense, we almost are asking God to give us another way out. God, I mean, this, this, this option, this door you asked me to step through is, is too much, God. I mean, open this door. I mean, this, this it would be much. I, I would give myself 100% fully if you let me go through this door instead. And God is saying, no, that's not the door I've opened for you. This is the door I've opened for you to, to step through. Obey. But when we do so, we, will, we can trust that God will sustain us. He will strengthen us. 
He will give us peace and joy through those difficult moments in our lives. I want you to hear what Psalm 119 verse 165 says. The, the psalmist writes that there is lasting peace for those who love your teachings. Nothing can make those people stumble. The psalmist declares that when you and I, when you and I hear God's word and we embrace God's word and we, we place ourselves under the authority of God's word and we obey God's word, there is lasting peace that is promised. Now, of course, it's not a peace that is based on circumstance, right? Nobody is saying that, that God is just wanting you and I to just be happy that we're going through difficulties. But here's the kicker, friends, that when we are going through a difficulty and God says, obey, God says, trust me, God says, do not lean on your own understanding. Do not do the way you think you should do it. Do not do the way the world said you should do it. Do it my way. I will take care of you. That as we step out in obedience, that God will give us the peace that we need. So that even if our world is falling apart all around us, friends, there is still joy in our hearts. And it is a joy that comes from knowing that God is with me, that God is for me, God is going to take care of me. There is nothing I'm going through that God will allow to overwhelm me. Why? Because I am obeying Him fully. When we obey God, He sustains and He strengthens us. And this is why I believe Paul was saying that when we are fighting this enemy, this spiritual enemy, we are not to fight this enemy with physical or or carnal weapons. We are to fight this enemy with spiritual weapons. And that spiritual weapon, friend, is obedience. God says if we obey, He will sustain, He will strengthen, He will be with us, He will help us to overcome. Here's the point I'll leave with you, and I hope you remember this throughout the day, throughout the week, going forward. Especially in those times where the enemy comes chirping in your ear, trying to convince you that your way is better than God's way. Listen to me this morning, friend. Obedience to Christ will always keep Satan at bay. Obedience to Christ will always keep Satan at bay. Obedience to Christ is like, is like, is like building that wall around us that, 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 that the enemy cannot penetrate, he cannot cross, he cannot breach. Why? Because we are putting our full trust in God fully. It was Henry Blackaby, a well-known Christian author, who said, God's commands are designed to guide you and I to life's very best. You will not obey Him if you do not believe Him and trust Him. You cannot believe Him if you do not love Him. You cannot love Him unless you know Him. God's desire is that as you and I are walking in relationship with Him, and as you and I are learning what it means to be His children, to to, 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 to reflect Christ in our day-to-day, that, that by our obedience, we are, we are raising for our lives, ourselves, a defense that the enemy cannot breach, cannot penetrate. What is stopping you from obeying God today? What is keeping you from trusting that whatever God, God's word says to you, that you can take it to the bank? You never have to worry that God will not back his word up in your life. What is holding you back today? God is inviting you to let go of whatever it is, whatever concerns, fears, anxieties you may have about, about the risks involved with trusting him and obeying him. God says, obey me, I will take care of you. Friend, remember, the God we call Abba Father, there is no one like him. There is no one equal to him. And there is certainly no one greater than him. And so when you know that your Heavenly Father is, is limitless in His power, He is limitless in His knowledge, He is limitless in all that He sees and He's aware of, friends, what, what do you have to worry about? What do you need to be afraid of? God says, obey me, and I will take care of you. And so on our way to heaven, I encourage you, whatever you may be going through today, just remember this one word, obey. Everybody say with me, obey. Let God prove Himself faithful in your life not just today but every single day and when people see you let them know christ by your obedience 
Again, not that you're perfect, because we don't have the capacity to be perfect, but let them see Christ by your obedience. And let Satan, let Satan be defeated because you are obedient. Amen? Bow your heads with me this morning as we pray. Heavenly Father, thank you once again. Every week, Father, these last several weeks we've come together, we've been studying your word to see what it means, Father God, to be overcomers through Christ. God, I thank you for the confidence that we have today. It is not a confidence that is in and of ourselves. It is a confidence that we find in knowing your truth and, and knowing your promise, Lord God, that, that your word, Father God, is, is, is true. That your word, Father God, is, is one on which we can stake our lives to God. That, God, we can stake our future to God and, and be confident, Lord, that it will never lead us astray. God, I pray today you would help us, Lord, to... Father, embrace the, the word, the, the, the words of the Apostle Paul, who invites us to not only, Father God, have the belt of truth buckled around our waist, Father, but that God, we're also to put on this breastplate of righteousness, Lord. God, I pray that, Lord, every day as we are walking in newness of life, as we are living out this, this call that you're placed in our lives as your sons and daughters, God, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to not just be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. So that, God, in our doing, God, you are glorified. In our doing, God, we are able to stand up against a fierce enemy and to overcome that enemy through the power that is in the name of Jesus. God, I thank you this morning, Lord, for whomever may be here today that does not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Your word tells us, your word tells us that, Lord, if we will confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and we will believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. But it tells us that Christ gave his life for the sins of the world so that so that sin would no longer drive a wedge between between humanity and the God who created us to know him. And God, I pray that for whomever may be here today who does not know Jesus Christ, that even in this moment, I believe, God, you've been speaking to them, Father, that by your spirit, you've been drawing them, Lord, to make Jesus the Lord of their lives today, not tomorrow, not next week, but today, because today is the hour of salvation. God, I thank you that you have brought them to this point of decision. And I thank you that, God, in response to their faith, putting their trust fully in Christ's finished work on the cross, you will save them. You will forgive. You will set free. You will give them a new identity. God, thank you this morning, God, for what you've done in this place and what you're going to continue to do in every heart and life. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, Amen.